Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Also, in 1921 and 1922, <laughs> also, also. he won such stuff. <laughs> oh right, that one's on I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to type. Pretend I'm not here. Okay, thank you. I don't know if it were that easy. Yeah, just also like the rest of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Pretend I'm not here. Hey, everyone. It's Elliot. And Todd. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar, an ongoing conversation about pop culture and iconic design. Bernard Shaw once said, life isn't about finding yourself, life is about creating yourself. And he also said, when you find yourself listening to a podcast with two guys in a bar, question your life choices. Well, in the spirit of the first sentiment, we're going to discuss two programs that held the promise of a better you, found in the pages of comic books for literally decades. So today we're pitting two more family favorites against one another. Art Instruction Schools and their talent spotting versus Charles Atlas and his dynamic tension. So grab a drink. We're all about to learn a thing or two. Elliot, I have a question for you, my friend. Question for you. Okay. Darn it. Are you sick and tired of being a scarecrow? Do you want to knock out beach bullies, Elliot? Uh, uh, I mean... Do you know who can give you a real body, Elliot? Create fame instead of shame. Turn a champ from a chump, a real man. Will you gamble a stamp and get a free book, Elliot? Uh, I guess I'd have to lay my hand he on He wants stamp. to know, do you want a broader chest and shoulders, iron-hard stomach muscles, tireless legs, slimmer waist and legs, more energy and stamina, more magnetic personality, more weight in the right places? Uh, well, sure, I guess. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, well, Charles Atlas wants to help you to be a man that other men admire and women adore. Oh, man, that sounds perfect. Sign me up. And speaking of signing up, readers of comic books were signing up in droves for the Charles Atlas dynamic tension. And, you know, it, it worked because his ads were in panels like comic books. I'm going to read a part of one because the man... Just knew how to use quotation marks. All right, you ready? You sitting <laughs> sure, down? Sure, hit me. Okay. I mean, go. not literally, you know, in the okay, Charles not, Atlas uh, sense. Can I kick sand in your face? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, okay. The man who looks like a skinny, frail weakling just doesn't get across. People don't give him a second glance, and because he can't get by, 
in a physical way. He doesn't go big in a popular way either. He doesn't register with men because they know they can rule him without fear if they want to. How that? Hmm. It's a pretty manly genius kind of uh, poetry there, I think. Yeah, I think so. He was a genius to include it in comic books. You know, more than likely, if you think about it, the guys that saw themselves as the 97-pound weaklings and not those fantastic, uh, muscular superheroes and tough guys they were reading about in the comic books, you know, this appealed to them. I bet those guys statistically were getting bullied, too, so it was a good thing. Oh, I can tell you that firsthand. Uh, not because I got bullied necessarily, but because I was the older brother of a comic book reading kid. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, of a 97-pound weekly. Yeah, I don't even know if he tipped the scales at 97 pounds at that point. I Not that I was Charles Atlas, but I was Charles Atlas compared to him with a three-year age difference. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So He was like baby Atlas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say we didn't live on the beach, but uh, there were enough sandboxes around. I think he got some sand, among other things, kicked on him. <laughs> okay, so I could I could talk about the joys of, of being an older brother all day. So let's yeah. steer back for a, a minute to Charles Atlas. So how did Charles Atlas, the archetype, the guy we know, the hero in the, yeah. the comic book ads, how did he become Charles Atlas? Like, what's this guy's origin story? Well, good question, everyone should ask, because I think, I mean, your questioning was Charles Atlas, his birth name, right? Oh, that's absolutely. What that's what you want to know? Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, Atlas is the god that holds the earth on his back, right? Right, right. Uh, symbol of strength and all that. So, I mean, if it was It, was, it would be a little name, on the nose, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, know Neil, Neil Armstrong, that was his real name, and you can't get much more All-American than that. So I'm, That's true. it's not beyond the realm of possibility. But, yeah, so tell me a little bit about okay. this guy. So it wasn't his name. He was actually born— We may as well hang it up right now, then I'm no longer interested. <laughs> <laughs> Just edit that shit out, okay? Just— <laughs> <laughs> he was born in Calabria, Italy in 1892, and his birth name was Angelo Siciliano, like the pizza. And he moved to Brooklyn at age 12, and by his own account, he was that 97-pound weakling that was bullied. And he would admire, like, the statues in and around New York at the public buildings, like this, the statues that were heroic, like Hercules and other mythological heroes. And that inspired him to start exercising, right? I can imagine being an immigrant, probably not knowing English, getting dropped into Brooklyn in 1904. <laughs> that, uh, that would be a, a culture shock, let's say. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, only problem with his desire for exercise was... And before he got into the fitness business, he was a leather worker and, you know, obviously pretty young. So, mm -hmm. you know, not like the CEO of leather workers, he had no money for weights and equipment. So one day he happened to be at the zoo and he saw this powerful lion stretching uh, and he thought to himself, like, look at all the muscles on that lion. He doesn't use weights. You know, how did he get to be like that? Obviously, by being a lion. But, you know, he was thinking, he was like, wait a minute. I, there's something there, right? Or he said it in Italian, right? however that was. Wait a minute. Uh, 
Anyway. If I had been him, I would have said, oh, he's probably mauled a fair number of zookeepers. Because <laughs> all he eats are children and they're <laughs> super and lean protein. The breakfast of champions. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He kind of got he got really interested in that and that kind of that symbol of of how did this lion with all the muscles get to have all the muscles without lifting weights. And he would end up spending a lot of time <laughs> at Coney Island. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm just I'm imagining like a, a lion with a weight bench just busting <laughs> out some reps. <laughs> There's something amazing about that. It's almost like I think I probably have in my head a sports mascot kind of lion, you know, a, a, like a life-size cartoon lion just, just jacked and just you. doing some, some bench that work. Just, that just shows you how stupid you are. You know lions use universal machines. They don't use those stinky weight benches oh, like they're in prison. That's true. I, I forgot about the lions I see in all those Peloton ads. <laughs> um. So he started learning more about fitness, more about diet uh, from those strongmen sideshows uh, at Coney Island. Sure. You remember those, right? Yeah, yeah. This led to the development of his own kind of isometric uh, muscle training, which was then they labeled it uh, to be sounding a little bit more sexier than isometric muscle training. They labeled it as dynamic tension, and that's what became famous. We should have named our podcast that. Yeah, you know, I, that must have been magical um, because it worked. And in 1922, way back, 1922, with his new physique and his newfound confidence, he changed his name to Charles Atlas um, because it sounded a lot like Angelo Siciliano, I think. Um, <laughs> Except totally different. <laughs> he was like, Siciliano, like the pizza. Um, anyway, he began selling his courses by mail order, and he also started working in vaudeville and in those same sideshows at Coney Island. Um, and he was doing these feats of strength, and he was also promoting his courses at the same time. So like a really early infomercial. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But with feats of strength. Yeah, so like what? What do you mean when you say that? Oh, Okay. Um, like lifting stuff, uh, like people, cars, like he would lift like six people on a bar, car parts and weights, uh, tearing phone books in half, bending steel spikes, breaking quarters in half, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, like you do, feats of strength. So he was able, I, I need to back up a moment here. He was able to do all of this without ever setting foot in a real gymnasium. I, you know, uh, according to his mythology, uh, yes. Um, I don't know. Um, I wasn't there, but there's no account of him like being really dedicated to a gym. Huh. Okay. I mean, you know, he probably, I'm sure, eventually made a few bucks, bought a few dumbbells, and, and kind of pushed it a little bit <laughs> Well, further. he definitely duped some dumbbells, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, now. Um, but in addition to his strongman shows, he also worked as an artist model for many sculptures of classic heroes, the same ones he saw when he was little. And these are appearing in front of tons of public buildings. So did, did he model for the lions in front of the New York Public Library? I, I think they got real lions for that. Oh, 
Uh, I, you know, I just thought I would ask. Yeah, I think they got real lions for that, but I bet we could find some that he modeled for. Maybe Atlas at the Rockefeller Center. That's Prometheus. I thought there was a guy. No, no, no. There's up. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, there's Atlas and there's Prometheus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Yeah, he was not a Prometheus type. He was an Atlas type. Okay. Also in 1921 and 1922, he won such titles as the world's most handsome man and the world's most perfectly developed man. At these early physique shows, they were kind of the precursors of bodybuilding competitions. And they were staged by a magazine publisher by the name of Bernard McFadden. Uh, okay, so world, world for these titles. Not really the entire world. Maybe New York. Maybe the people within the city and general area of New York reading this guy's magazines. Yeah, 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 not, yeah, that wasn't the entire world, just the readers of Physical Culture magazine, which sounds a little dubious to me. I like that, Physical Culture. Yeah, he also published True Detective, True Romance, and True Story. Ooh, I like that, True. We should do an episode about him, right? True, yeah. Hmm, I see what you did there. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the influence of Charles Atlas. Some of Atlas's students you may have heard of included uh, the boxers Max Baer and Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciano. Do you know who Max Baer is? I don't. Who Who is he? That is Jethro Bodine's father. Oh, wow. Get out of here. Okay. Yeah, Jethro Bodine played by Max Baer Jr. His father was a boxer. Ah, interesting. Well, yeah, Jethro was a big dude. I mean, in real yeah, life. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that adds yeah. up. Yeah, so so he uh, his father was one of Atlas's students, along with the other boxers I mentioned, and British actor David Prowse even was a student. <laughs> oh, Darth Vader? Yep, Darth Vader could tear a phone book in half, as a matter of fact. So all these kind of wonderful things start to tie together. Yeah, you're pulling a lot of pop culture threads here. This is great. Yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, so speaking of, um, Charles Atlas and his dynamic tension had an impact on pop culture. Uh, Let me name just a couple of things that you might have heard it mentioned in uh, some other pop culture things. Go for it. Um, There's a 1966 novel called Beautiful Losers written by Leonard Cohen. Charles Atlas is actually parodied as Charles Axis. I don't know (laughs) if that was a bad guy. (laughs) Yeah, the Axis of evil. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's mentioned also in another novel, this one by Kurt Vonnegut, um, named Cat's Cradle. And in a Futurama episode, when aliens attack, Fry gets sand kicked in his face by a professional beach bully. Did you ever see that episode? <laughs> no, but now I, can, okay. I need to go I mean, obviously, it. you knew where it came from, right? Oh, yeah. that's And and that just shows, I mean, the, the people watching something like Futurama, um, yeah. they obviously, you know, Charles Atlas had passed away probably for a majority of them were even born. Yeah, and yeah. yet everybody knows the reference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just become an iconic thing and Mm -hmm. um so speaking of there's a couple more that um 
that are uh, in line with that as well. There's a title song. I, I know you've seen the 1964 movie Muscle Beach Party. <laughs> and the ti- I love those movies, by the way. Yeah. The title song features the lyric, Cherry Little Woodies are the center of attention till the muscle men start the dynamic tension. <laughs> What the hell is a cherry little woody? Oh, man. Uh, Well, I think to keep this podcast relatively clean, we can't delve too deeply into that phraseology. (laughs) Um, Let's just go with cars. They're cars, maybe. Oh, oh yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, maybe. Like woodies, right? I didn't know they were cherry. Well, they're red. I mean, there's parts of it. It could be cherry wood. I mean, you don't know. It could be, what do they call those double entendres, too. Could mean a couple be. things. I think also when something was cherry, that means it was, like, perfect. It was tight. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so get your mind out of the gutter, Todd. Mine's I, getting my, crowded. No, my mind is, is pure. My mind is pure. Um, mm-hmm. And, okay, one of our favorites, um, Ren Stimpy. You know, it's mentioned... Um, there in Seinfeld, Monty Python. Yes, I re- totally remember the animation with Monty Python where um, yeah. uh, this guy was, you know, it was obviously this big cartoonish guy and he's like you know i built my body with dynamic tension and then he like starts (laughs) cupping his hands together and pulling on them and he pulls one of his arms off and the (laughs) (laughs) i love that i remember losing my mind when i saw that i thought yeah yeah and the ren and stimpy one was when ren gets pectoral muscles do you you remember that one don't you yes yes but my favorite i think though is uh from the rocky horror picture show there's this the song i can make you a man and uh, the doctor, Dr. Frankenfurter, says his creature carries the Charles Atlas seal of approval. If we only knew of my plan in just seven days, I can make you a man. You know, obviously, I love that, too, because he's using atlas's advertising words but it means something different in that context i think sure sure you, what, what gave that away <laughs> well if you watch it you could tell um, okay and i didn't know this and i've heard this song a bazillion times but i always thought it said something else in the queen song we are the champions uh there's a line in there that says, I've had my share of sand kicked in my face. I never knew that's uh-huh. what it said. I Do you never know that? really thought about it one way or the other. Because it's that part, I've had my share of sand, yeah, 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 yeah. like that. Well, I, sorry, I just had a moment. Like I that. thought I was actually listening to Freddie Mercury. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's if I warmed up, it would be <laughs> gargled a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. But anyway, anyway. Um, so, yeah, the Charles Atlas, man. He sort of left his uh, his imprint all over pop culture, and unfortunately, he died in 1972, and, and that was from a heart attack. And I think we can say, with the tons of attention and admiration, he succeeded beyond his wild dreams. You know, as a as a little boy from Italy, he turned out to be not just the hero of the beach but also heroes of comic books and fitness and pop culture in general oh yeah absolutely just to sort of contextualize this 
I think of maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger as our Charles Atlas for our generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Jack LaLanne, that was, I mean, he was an older guy. Uh, not yep. People may not yep. know him now. Yep. Wasn't he the one? Was he the one? No, 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 no. It was somebody else. I was thinking Jack LaLanne was the one who choked out Steven Seagal and forced him to poop his pants. Oh my that God. was another. That. that was, uh, yeah, that was, um, oh, I can't remember who that was. Richard now. Simmons? It was, Gene, it was Gene, yeah, Gene LaBelle was the one who caused, yeah, Steven Seagal <laughs> choked him out and forced and he pooped his pants. <laughs> True story. Gosh, that's great. Yeah, so so just based on that criteria alone, uh, Gene LaBelle, who is also dead, if I remember correctly, I he is my Charles Atlas because <laughs> he, he fought evil and won. <laughs> he is your, he is your. He is a true American. Gene LaBelle is your hero, right? You know what, Todd? Speaking of being a hero, how about you, uh, you know... Uh, here we go. Get your legs moving, get get that, that tush in shape, and, you know, get your body working over toward the bar so that you can uh, get us our next round of drinks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, I saw that one coming uh, down the beach, as it were. Um... All right, let's take a short break and we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hi. We want to take a moment to mention that if you're enjoying this episode, we have an archive of topics ranging from the Olympics to movie posters. Think Ghostbusters. Iconic images. Think Bigfoot. Punk music. The Ramones. Saturday morning cartoons. The Pink Panther. And failed products like OK Soda. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com for full episode notes and visuals, the latest blog content, and to sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Find the links on our website or search using the phrase Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. Most importantly, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people like you find podcasts like this. And tell a friend about us. Send them a link to our podcast from your listening platform of choice. And if you're inclined, buy our merchandise. Stickers, coasters, magnets, t-shirts. We're designers. We make good stuff, and it helps support the show. Get in touch. Use the contact form on our website or send an email to hello at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. We read every message we get, honest. And we're available for speaking gigs. Email us to learn more. Okay, now, back to the bar. All right, Todd, we're back. We've had our drinks. Thank you very much for those, by the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sex on the Beach, interesting choice, but hey, Mm. whatever. Mm. I guess it sticks with our theme uh, with Charles Atlas. Okay. I bet you that I can say two words that will make you remember 
one of the most long-standing ad campaigns, okay? All right. These are ads that appeared in comic books, magazines, <laughs> and even on matchbooks, all, all right. right? But first, let's have some okay. fun. Okay, all right. Fun's good. Let's see if you can guess what these ads are for without me saying the two magic words, all right? All right. All right. Okay. I'll try. I'm going to start by throwing some names out, and you tell me if they sound familiar. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Reggie. Mm-hmm. Cuddles. Mm-hmm. Tippy. Mm-hmm. Cubby. Mm-hmm. Pudgy. Mm-hmm. Tubby. Mm-hmm. And Steve. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the Power Rangers. Oh, so close and yet so far. Okay. All right. I'll tell you was what, I'm in, gonna I'll give you another insane? I'll give you another hint. Is that I'll BTS? give you and the listeners another hint. Huh? Okay. Was that BTS? <laughs> it was yeah, it was a K pop band. <laughs> <laughs> I think boy, you're 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 really just you know, all around the target. Uh, but yeah, let's I'm, let's I'm continue. Like I'm right there at it. Okay. Speaking of occupations, what do these have in common? Okay. All right. Besides a K pop band. A lumberjack, a musketeer, a pirate. An astronaut, a Canadian Mountie, and Bob Hope. Uh, what is Costumes Elliot will be on the next Halloween? <laughs> All in one night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, here, I, here I we mean, go. it's. So I feel like this is a really great setup, but I don't know how two words are going to solve this. Where Where is this thing going? All right. Here, I'll give you some other clues. Right. You and I are both fans of, you know, Sunday comics and illustrators. Yeah, yeah. So what do Mort Walker, who is the guy who created Beetle Bailey and mm -hmm. illustrated High and Lois, mm -hmm. you know him well, mm -hmm. and some guy from the Midwest named Charles Schultz, oh, I think you might him. be familiar yeah. with him through some comic called Peanuts. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. what do they have in common aside from their wildly successful newspaper strips? Mm, they started in a different profession, maybe. Um, <laughs> they were a pirate or a lumberjack a or a Canadian Mountie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I like where your head is here. All okay. Right. It's time for the two words. All right. Are you ready? Please reveal. Okay, because you haven't guessed it so far. The two words yep. draw me. Oh, art instruction schools. Yes, yes. art instruction schools. On matchbooks and back of comic books, right? Yep, and magazines, all sorts of places. Yeah, they, they must have had a hefty ad budget. Uh, was this a real institute of some kind? Was this a real school? Right, or was it a school in, in quotes? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Well, we'll get to that. Okay. All right. First, our names. Reggie was a raccoon. All right. Cuddles was a puppy. Oh. Tippy, a turtle. Uh -huh. Cubby, a uh -huh. bear. Pudgy, another more hayseed pig <laughs> than, uh, <laughs> uh, than, than Tubby, who was a pig. And Steve was just some random guy, a friend of the artist, maybe. It was just this guy named Steve, which I thought was was great that they included him. But if you remember, one or more of these uh, heads were always in these ads. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't recall Pudgy and Tubby, the pigs. 
Um, so were they related in some way? Were they like cousins? <laughs> I don't know. I We will post some of these ads online so people can look, but I don't recall Tubby and Pudgy <laughs> being, in the, being in the ads at the same time. It was almost like, what, Country Pig and City Pig? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, Tippy the Turtle and, and Cubby yeah, the Yeah, 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 with his little flat cap. And didn't he have a turtleneck on, too, if I remember correctly? Like, well, what else be, would he wear? You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he was sort of the neighborhood tough, I think. He was probably one of the bullies uh, who kicked Charles Atlas's ass. <laughs> probably was. Very yeah. slowly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, he's still coming. <laughs> okay, the Lumberjack, the Mountie, and Bob Hope. Mm-hmm. Various cars, buildings, and mm-hmm. patterns. So these were all things you could draw that would lead to a scholarship that would be your springboard into a world of art. Yeah, Todd. yeah. So... Can we throw these onto our episode page? Maybe, uh, oh, yeah. ma- maybe you and Absolutely. I could draw some too and see. <laughs> we could, we could, we could do that. Yeah, we could <laughs> see how we'd fare. Um, so let's start talking about the school here. So your question yes, earlier: yes. Was it a real school? Right. The short answer is yes, it okay. was, and I I say was because sadly it closed in 2018 after a run of 104 what? years. It was. Still open in 2018? Wow. Yes, yes. And we'll we'll get to why it ultimately closed down. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't due to a lack of popularity, I think. Let's dig into the crates right. or dig into the, the crate filled with ads, as the case may be. And let's let's go back to the founding of this place. Okay. So the school was started as the Federal School of Applied Cartooning. Why it was called Federal, I don't know. It wasn't like it was a branch of the government. It was, it was part of the, yeah, the TVA or something, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This was even well before the TVA. Oh, yeah. So this, it got started in 1914 in Minneapolis. Okay. So it was a branch of the Bureau of Engraving Incorporated. So again, not the Treasury. This was just some fancy name for a printing company in Minneapolis. And the goal of the school was to train illustrators for the growing printing industry and, of course, for the Bureau itself, right? So they could sort of talent pick for their own company and then say to the other people well we've prepared you go out and get a job you can draw bears and turtles now you should have plenty of (laughs) yeah exactly yeah go go forth and prosper go for it (laughs) don't draw the fat pig don't draw this yeah don't draw don't draw the country pig if you're going for a city job yeah exactly right um so i say school Right. But it was really a bunch of home study courses. And it was started by a guy named Joseph Almers. And he was born in Minneapolis, Mm -hmm. which is why it was in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And so he was both a vice president of the Bureau of Engraving. And he was also the president of Art Instruction. Wow. Okay. Does this make sense now? We're starting to connect some dots. Starting to. No pun intended. Not an art. uh, There might be an art test to connect some dots. I'm not sure. That's right. That's right. So you and I both love lowbrow. We do. I think if there's anything we've established over the arc of these podcast episodes, it's that. Okay. Have you ever heard of an illustrator, and this guy prides himself on lowbrow, like it's not like we're labeling him this Mm -hmm. uh, with this label. Um, Have you ever heard of a guy named Mitch O'Connell? Oh, gosh. Um, Not not 
No, the name is not super familiar to me. Um, I probably would recognize his work, though. Yeah, you probably would. He does a lot of sort of rockabilly style, comic art style. Like, it's really, really solid stuff. And we'll put a link to his work on our episode page. Uh, Yeah, then uh, what does he have to do? Was he an art student at the art instruction school? No. Oh. But... Well, this is a short episode. (laughs) It is, and we're done. Listen, he wasn't a student, but it turns out his mom was. Oh, okay. So when I was doing some research about art instruction Mm -hmm. schools, I found sort of uh, in the dusty corners of the internet, I found an old blog that he used to keep, and he talks about how his mom actually took all of these courses and how he still had all of her coursework. Really? I'll read you a, a, a little bit of the story okay. here mm-hmm. uh, in Mitch's own words. My mother took these courses in the late 50s, and I still have many of her instruction books and lessons. The quality of artist talent in the lesson books and the ability of the actual hands-on instructors is stunningly impressive. Just looking at her via mail assignments, where the teachers went over her drawing with tracing paper, are all spot-on helpful and beautiful. Any aspiring artist nowadays who is interested in learning the actual skills and basics that go into illustration would do well by finding these on eBay and then reading them over and over and over again. Wow. Yeah, so I think that's high praise. Yeah. Um, Definitely looking at his work, and he's made a living as a professional illustrator. Yeah, yeah. So, as I mentioned earlier... Why would people be inclined to want to take these courses? So they were interested in working for newspapers, Mm -hmm. printers, Mm -hmm. ad agencies. You know, you got to keep in mind this is the mid-century, the 50s, 60s. So this is the beat era. This is the Mad Men era. This Mm -hmm. is the Mm -hmm. early pop art era, right? Mm -hmm. This is when everything was sort of hitting um, across all these different creative sectors, right? Right, right. Art instruction was known to many aspiring artists as the Draw Me mm-hmm. School because of the quote-unquote talent test advertising campaigns seen in print ads, TV commercials, offering beauty, adventure, and drama. Do you remember that ad with the, the big sailing I ship? Do. And then later online promotions that also carried the Draw Me ad copy into the digital age. Let me ask you a quick question. You said talent test advertising yes. campaigns. Were they really a test? I mean, would, would, <laughs> if you did it, or are you going to get to this? Or I'm just curious, like, how I much love, of a test? I love that you're asking this question. Okay. Um, because our buddy Mitch had something to say about these. Two. Oh, okay. So you're you're totally uh, again uh, connecting the dots here, Todd, to, to continue with our art metaphor. Um, so I'm going to read you another quote from Mitch's okay. blog. All right. It turns out you might not be actually judged by your ability to copy these draw-me-doodles. It was more of a very clever way for Art Instruction Incorporated to find out that you existed. Uh When the company received draw-me submissions, these were turned over to salesmen who drove from one town to another, often arriving in a home unannounced and launching into a sales pitch. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) That's amazing. Go figure. You yeah. drew Cubby. You drew Cubby, so we're ready to sell you some art lessons. <laughs> I'm, F- I'm FOC, friend of Cubby. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Like a student setting up an easel at the Art Institute of Chicago and copying a Renoir, mm -hmm. it still can't hurt to try your hand at replicating these classic illustrations. And for the inspired students, you can do the more advanced test that I actually received in the mail after sending in my try at Binky. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that he uh, went ahead and, and obviously when he was coming up, um, these ads were still live. Right, the school right. was still live. So, you know, he's speaking from firsthand and secondhand knowledge here, which I think is amazing that he went ahead and yeah, did it. Yeah. So as the company grew in popularity, it added instruction in cartooning, color, uh -huh. comics, composition, perspective, and drumroll, Todd, graphic mm -hmm. design. Oh, cool. The Fundamentals of Art was the name of the course, and it expanded to 12 textbooks with examples from a number of incredible artists. Damn. And in the interest of time, I won't go into all of them here, but mm -hmm. it, it definitely is some household okay. names. And as I mentioned, speaking of well-known artists, two of the school's instructors were cartoonist Mort Walker and Minneapolis native named Charles Schultz. Shut up. No, really? True. Were they yeah. famous then? Were they known? Or how did they get there? Okay, let me tell you about how Charles Schultz, who arguably is the most famous comic strip cartoonist in history, got there. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he was in high school, Keep in mind, he was in Minneapolis, just like the school was. Mm -hmm. His mother saw one of the ads that asked, do you like to draw? <laughs> so obviously he did. And so Schultz took the $170 course, which was a huge sum of money during the Depression. And his father worked really hard to make the payments. Mm. And then after World War II, Schultz worked on Catholic comic magazines what? and then signed on as an instructor with art instruction. So he was just getting started. He was just emerging. Catholic comic magazines, though? Yeah, Catholic comic magazines. Right, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, we can look up one of those and see if we can hunt it down and post it because... I'm sure it was uh, a riveting narrative. Or maybe it was terrible, but you just felt guilty when you were done reading Maybe it. that's what it was. That's what drove people to church. <laughs> so during this time, he began sketching the characters that developed into Peanuts. And several of them, including Charlie Brown, Linus, Frida, and the little red-haired girl, mm -hmm. were actually based on Schultz's co-workers and friends at the Art Institute. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Yeah, how amazing is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so great. Um, and in a 1994 speech, Schultz said, quote, Art Instruction Incorporated, it was a wonderful place to get started because the atmosphere was not unlike that of a newspaper office. Uh -huh. All the instructors were very bright people. They were all ambitious, and each of them had his or her desire, whether it was to be a fashion artist or a cartoonist or a painter. So, pretty amazing. It sounds like it was really legitimate. Uh-huh. It does. Yeah. yeah. Not what I, at all what I would have expected. No, this definitely isn't a, a sea monkeys kind of situation, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is a, yeah. There is actual quality product here in terms of instruction and feedback. Amazing. However, all good things, Todd, must come to an end. And uh, despite the advances in digital art, so you think about, again, going into the age of the Internet, and you think about things like um, software tools or things like, you know, yeah. Wacom tablets and, and later iPads and everything like this. Yep. Art instruction schools continue to follow the teaching traditions that established over a century ago. And so, needless to say, it, 
it didn't end well for them, right? They just mm-hmm. simply couldn't make that pivot or that transition into the, the digital age. So yeah. after, you know, after more than a century, um, it was done. So I, I imagine they sort of rode the, uh, that traditional way for a while uh, because the, the kids that they were attracting from comic books, um, they probably didn't have uh, tablets. Um, you know, maybe they had iPads, but they didn't draw digitally. Yeah. They, they had paper right. and they had pencils. So there was a right. lot of that love still around, but I'm, I guess their, um, their employment kind of was drying up too. Like people weren't hiring uh, folks anymore to draw turtles with, in turtlenecks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe when you think about sketching and things like that today, of course, you have people who might do storyboard sketches yeah, and things like yeah. that. But yeah, by and large, you don't need people to do marker comps for your ad layouts anymore. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Huh. And even the comic books that were for a vast number of years traditionally illustrated with like a penciler and an inker and mm-hmm. a colorer mm-hmm. and a letterer mm-hmm. um today obviously that's an all digital workflow so even the comic books the advertising vehicles themselves were able to make that change <laughs> so do you know if there's any remnant of the of the art instruction school left around is is there a building somewhere or there is a building, I guess, in in Minneapolis still. Yeah. Did yeah. the IP get bought by someone like to make, you know, ironic T-shirts out of? That's a great question. I don't know. Um, I wonder if the the Bureau of Engraving or or printing, the printing company. I wonder if that still exists. I don't know. And if it does exist, I wonder if they own the IP. I mean, we need to have some research feet on the ground up in Minneapolis. Yeah, Maybe we, we do. can make some phone calls or send some emails. Or if anybody wants to, who has this information and wants to get in touch with us, yeah, we would love to know where where all this amazing, iconic stuff currently stands. Yeah. And same with Charles Atlas. I mean, who owns that now? Where is that? Uh, yeah, the, the uh, company is actually still in business. Um, and of course, it was sold while Atlas was alive. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, still in business, still doing the dynamic tension thing. Well, what was amazing, so he died the year before I was born. Right. And um, he uh, was definitely present in a number of comic books that my brother and I yeah, in the yeah. 70s and 80s. So, I mean, from the grave, this guy was still espousing the virtues of fitness and dynamic tension. That's right. Because in the comic books, he never aged. You know, he was always right. whatever age he was when he won the most well-developed man in 1922 so uh, so so we, we always yeah, yeah it, he was of our generation no matter what generation yeah which is kind of amazing so okay todd okay. knowing what we know now yeah. and thinking about i mean let's let's be honest i mean you 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 need to work on a lot of things okay so yeah. uh, you know and I, well. i'm telling you this as a friend yeah um, well. so of these two options which would you choose so for Todd Coates 2.0, when when you exit at the other end of the machine, yeah, what are what process did you go through here? Hmm, that's a tough one because both sound great to me. Um, on one hand, uh, you know, I could 
further my career of drawing um, hasty pigs and turtles and turtlenecks. Um, yep. But on the other hand, if I were doing that, I would get sand kicked in my face by a, by a bully. So I think I'm gonna go with the Charles Atlas course on this one. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the dynamic tension. How about you? You are. Yeah. So here's here's my logic. I'm gonna go with uh, Tippy and Tubby and and all the rest of them. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do art instruction. I think. So I'm gonna stick to my knitting as well. Is it because you think you already um, are the the man that you should be? That you are a real man on the beach. No, but here's here's my logic. Okay. Okay. All right. I can make enough money being an artist that I can hire the guy who took the Charles Atlas courses to keep oh. people from kicking sand in my face. Well, I, I I see your logic, and that would make a lot of sense. I'm not so sure you can make that much money drawing turtles and pigs, <laughs> but but you dream you dream your little dream buddy <laughs> okay well maybe i i bet you i'll say this i'll bet you i can draw a tight pig sketch faster than you can bulk up with 30 pounds of muscle <laughs> well, of course of course yeah but come on come on i'll keep 30 pounds of muscle you won't keep a picture of a pig around no, because I'm going to mail it to a friend like you. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll sign See, you See, Todd, I, my, my nature is one of giving. Okay. Well, you send it to me. I'll mark it up on some tracing paper and send it back to you and, and <laughs> yeah, sign you up for Telling me all the things I did wrong. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And, and you just send me, when you send that, do the drawing on the back of the check for $170 and I'll, I'll take care of it. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll I'll send you a check for any amount of money you want. <laughs> Just don't try to cash oh, it. Okay, okay. Uh, well, you know, and in turn, what you can do is you can send me your before and after dynamic tension photos, uh -huh. and then you can let me try to figure out which is which. <laughs> oh, man. All right. That's a tough one. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, Todd. Well, speaking of uh, useful activities, yeah. how about you uh, flex your muscles and uh, get back over to the bar? Tell you what, I will. Here's what I'm going to do. I will draw you a picture oh, of the geez. drink I want, oh, and then you hand it to the bartender, and then while you're critiquing my sketch, he can be making the drink for us, and then we can compare. How about that? Uh, that sounds good. Expect it to have turtle in it, by the way. Oh, what's turtle? Have some tippy in it. You're going to have a turtle <laughs> drink. It means it's going to arrive, but it'll be very slow in coming. It, yeah, well, yeah, and have bits of turtle shell in it. And, oh, uh, yeah, I think that's animal cruelty. I don't think you could do that. Oh, oh, man. All right. Yeah, okay. Well, then we won't do that. I'll tell you what, you can get me a Bloody Mary and you can put a piece of bacon in it. Country pig, city pig, your choice. Uh, <laughs> I can put country pig or city pig bacon in it. All right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.